Well, I'm very glad to join you in the midst of your series on promises. Today, we're going to be talking about the power of the gospel. I don't know if you've ever really thought about the gas warning light in your car. I don't think it's designed for us to really think a lot about. Of course, the manufacturers want you to take note of it if you are low on fuel. And this is especially important if you're uh, somewhere uh, where there's no access to a gas station. The gas warning light becomes extremely imperative. In fact, almost essential uh, to your safety. But when I think about the essentials of life, I don't think about a gas warning light. But I do think about the gospel. The gospel is absolutely essential to our life, to our journey to Christ and our life in Christ. It is absolutely essential to embrace if we are going to be all who God has created us to be. I believe the greatest gospel verse for me in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. There we read, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God uh, treated Jesus as if he committed every sin that every person who would ever believe would commit, although he committed none of them. Jesus was holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners. But God treated him as if he lived my life, and God treats me as if I lived his life. This has been called the great exchange. Jesus, think about it, Jesus, the Son of God, is punished. He who is holy punished for me. He dies, he is buried, and that he is raised again in victorious life over death, hell, and the grave. Now, we think this is absolutely marvelous, and this, for the believer, just enraptures us. But to the world, it is nothing but foolishness. It's shameful. Paul makes this clear from his first letter to the Corinthian Christians, and there he describes just how use, uh, useless the gospel is to most people's perspective in the world. There in verse 18 of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he writes, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is, uh, there is a rather a growing interest. I know in, in my, as a military chaplain officer in the Royal Canadian Navy, I know that there is a, a real emphasis these days on the complete person. Uh, we want to minister as a, as a chaplaincy to the spiritual health, but, but we are not alone in this. The military sees that a person is made up of physical, mental, and spiritual person. And so spiritual health is becoming uh, almost very acceptable within uh, culture and even uh, is accepted by the government. But I tell you, once you move into the exclusivity of the gospel and you start talking about Jesus in terms of being the only way, the only truth, and the only life, then things get a little dicey. Pluralism seems to be the appetite for the day. And as long as Christianity stays within these boundaries of being like everything else, then we're all happy and it is okay. It's almost cool then to be spiritual. It's the same as Paul's day, I think. It was a good thing to have philosophical ideas. Uh, having philosophical ideas on various topics was very, very good because when it comes to morality, all you need to do is pick another deity. If, if what, what you worship doesn't meet with who you now are, you just change your mind. 
And that's really the way it works in a relativistic world, isn't it? A person simply gravitates to what appeals to them most, whatever caters to their sinful inclinations, desires, and objectives, whatever appeals to their lifestyles or preference, whatever strokes the God that they have designed for themselves to satisfy whatever needs that they want. And the gospel isn't like this, and so it meets with great adversity. When I was a little younger, I took a trip to Mammoth Caves, Kentucky. Um, Mammoth Caves, Kentucky has as its biggest feature, you might guess, Mammoth Caves. And it's interesting, you'll notice on your screen that this is the greatest highlight of Mammoth Caves. It's the darkness. And so you go down about 22, they, they say it's mapped about 22 kilometers, you don't go down that far before they stop you and you are in complete darkness. And the tour guide says, be very, very careful because if by chance anyone uh, takes a picture or there's any kind of a flash, you could blind everyone in the room. It's at that point in time that all of us in that dark place, we really, we understand what it's like to be in utter darkness. We start to almost desire the darkness over the light. And it reminds me uh, now as I think back that our eyes become so accustomed to the dark, uh, to the darkness around us uh, as unbelievers uh, before Christ came into our life and filled us with life uh, that to, to be, uh, be alerted by the gospel, to be alerted by the light of God would be abs absolutely terrifying to us. The, uh, that kind of exposure in the midst of that kind of darkness would do damage to our eyes. You know, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. They were inclined toward the darkness. You know, the problem then is that the gospel is that light, and we live in a dark world. And the gospel, that light is exclusive. It wants to dispel the darkness. Like the rest of the Bible, the gospel points to Jesus, the only way, the one way, the one truth, the one life, the one light. And the foolish gospel invites people to the Savior, to the one rescue plan, to the one way to live, to the exclusion of everyone and everything else. Paul says it this way, there is no other name, or Luke rather says it this way in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The gospel should be shameful to us because it's shameful to a world yet to believe. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 about this darkness, and he does it in a way that, that demonstrates his conviction toward the gospel, toward that light. He says, listen, while the world is ashamed, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. How are we so convinced that the gospel is foolishness? How did we go from seeing with the world that the gospel is useless and shameless and foolish to it becoming the power of God in a moment. My friends, it's because of the life-giving power of the gospel. And it begins with the salvation of you and I, the salvation of the sinner. The soul of the sinner is so lost, the word of God describes for us, and is exclusive to the Lord Jesus. It describes Jesus as being the only source of that light, the only power of God that could redeem us. The soul of the sinner so lost, the only 
power of God, that only the power of God could redeem it. If there is any doubt as to whether the gospel is powerful enough to save you, if there happens to be anybody in the room today or anybody at home and you are wondering, could God's gospel be powerful enough to break me free from the chains of my sins? My friends, I would remind you about this most powerful gospel and how it is on display. I mean, think about the most powerful displays of God's magnificence in creation. My mind goes to the sun itself, but you know, when you think of the sun, sometimes this is what you see. This is the description of the sun, this cheery kind of fellow that, you know, lights our day. And we often picture the sun like this, but in reality, the sun is magnificent. I mean, think of 384.6 Yoda watts of energy. Uh, For all the math geeks out there, that's whatever this equals, uh, 3.84 times 10 to the 26 watts with 24 zeros. It is a massive amount of infinite power, seemingly infinite power. And yet, my friends, let's not forget the scripture that we just read that is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Even this amazing feat of creative power of God cannot save one soul from an eternity away from God. Creation is amazing, but it has limitations. What the sinner needs, my friend, what you and I have needed if we have come to Christ is that life-giving power. And it comes not from a broken, sinful, and unholy people or a fallen world. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So, For those of us who are watching and you have yet to trust in the powerful gospel, you've yet to take God seriously and his appeal to you to be saved, my appeal to you would be the same appeal from Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Because the Lord Jesus, he was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and with his wounds we have been healed. Isaiah 53 verse 5. Forget being ashamed of the gospel. We all would stand with Habakkuk in chapter 3 and verse 18 of his prophecy and we would say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation life-giving power in the salvation of the sinner, but also life-giving power to equip the sinner saved by grace. The gospel does not cease, you'll note, to be the power of God after salvation. There's not another gospel that appears, another word of God that appears to equip us for the life saved by grace. That is why Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am eager, now he's speaking to believers, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He's speaking here to believers, those who have been already saved, and he wants to saturate them in the gospel. I have one message, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this makes sense for us when You know, we read passages like Ephesians chapter 6. This is the passage that talks about putting on the armor of God. In light of uh, of that, Paul sounds the battle cry. He pulls the alarm before he tells us about this armor. And he says, listen, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Greek words there, be strong and strength, come from the root word, you guessed it, power, power. We are to be powerful in our Christian lives. Now, 
This enters into a conversation about what I call reliant responsibility. Yes, we are responsible to be strong, but the problem is we find no power within ourselves to be strong. We must rely upon a foreign power, may I say a divine power, to uh, allow us to live that life that God has for us. In order for us to be strong, we must rely and be empowered by the Lord. You and I depend upon the Lord and in the strength of His might. And we need this empowering because although Christ has won the battle for our souls at the cross, we are in constant battle against the sinful flesh that we have that remains and against the spiritual forces of evil that are bent on not robbing you of salvation. That could never happen, but robbing God of glory. The Spirit of God wants us to abound and overflow with hope. What we realize from Scripture is that God's Holy Spirit has united us with Christ, but our problem is not with the uniting. It's with the communion. Not with the union, but with the communion that we have with Him. We know sin interrupts that communion. And so when we hear God's word, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Oh, how we desire to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 The the same, the same thing said in another way. Paul says, listen, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. That is worthy of the gospel that has saved you. And, you know, this can often discourage us. Because as we look at our lives and we say we've got this, this responsibility. And we know that we need to be reliant upon God. But how does it all work? What we discover is that the Holy Spirit is ready to work in us through the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, alongside Paul's exhortation to go into battle and to be strong in the Lord, he provides the strength of his might that he's been talking about. He provides the armor of God. Writer Milton Vincent in his book, The Gospel Primer, reminds the reader about what so many believers throughout the ages have discovered about God's grace. That is, each piece of the armor of God instructs Christians to take up what is available to them, these powerful tools that the Spirit of God provides for us in order to walk by the Spirit. And you'll notice that each piece of the armor is synonymous with the gospel. He says, take up the, the belt and the breastplate and the shoes and the shield and the helmet and the sword. Literally, they are the truth, the righteousness, the gospel of peace, the faith, the salvation, and the word of God. What we discover as we are careful with the word of God and we allow the word of God to speak for itself is that the armor of God is the gospel. The armor is the gospel. It is Christ. When we go into battle, when we put on Jesus, when we put on the gospel, we are assured of success. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. My friends, if we want to be serious about this command of God, to walk worthy of the gospel and be strong in the Lord, 
We need to take up these gospel methods. We need to take these tools in hand, put on the gospel. You know, when I was uh, working in the garden the other day, I got extremely dirty. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you just feel so dirty. Uh, I remember being in basic training and feeling so dirty, but I'll tell you, the other day, I just felt like I needed to be bathed and bathed quickly. And when I arrived in the house, my wife said, agreed, you need to bathe very quickly. You know, God expects us not to sit in uh, our situation, not allow the world to cover us with the filth uh, 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 of its nature and allow our lives to just kind of coast along and everything seems great, but we know deep down it's not. My friends, we often feel this burden and we want to live out the gospel in more practical ways and we just need to be, my friends, bathed in the gospel. We're not talking about righteous living. The fruits of the Spirit come after. We need to make sure that we are equipped for the work of God. We can, we can focus on the fruit later. But my friends, the Christian life is to be lived on the battlefield. We need the armor of God. Why do we need it? Because these weapons are weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. The life-giving power of the gospel we must learn to love our full fighting order, our armor of God. You know, the more obsessed that we are with the gospel, the more successful the believer will be. This is the plan of God for us. This is what Pastor Garth said last week when he spoke in passing about sanctification from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, Paul writes, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The foolishness of the gospel becomes the life-giving power of the gospel. We must move on. The end goal, of course, there is an end goal. And it is the transformation of the believer. The foolishness of the gospel becomes the life-giving power of the gospel with the end aim of transforming us to become like Jesus. God uses the very same life-giving gospel that brought us into the kingdom, that has given us life to transform us. And he does this, not by us working harder, but through that wonderful, mysterious means of sanctification. But how is that believer transformed? And we read about that this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the context here very quickly is in verses 7 to 11, is that Paul is contrasting the glory of the law of Moses with the greater glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he calls in verse 9, the ministry of righteousness. When we get to uh, chapter 3, verse 18, Paul explains that as we behold the glory of the Lord, and the believer becomes like Jesus. And in verse 18, we read that, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Where is this glory that we are to, be, that we are to behold? Where is this glory? that will transform us to become more like the Lord. And the temptation is that we would like to see it in creation. Uh, sometimes we, we move to uh, Psalm chapter 19, where the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We could go there and find glory of God there, <clears throat> the glory of God painted in creation. But we can't truly know him in that way that the, the Bible speaks of, that believers intimately know him. Yes, the whole earth is full of his glory, 
But Paul writes to uh, unbelievers that they uh, need to know God. In fact, as believers, we do know God. We don't honor him like the world honors him. We know God. So the world can know about God. The demons can know about God and tremble. And yet to truly know God in the way that God has designed for us to know him, we need to be transformed. And so how does that transformation take place? We know that the God of, the, of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And yet when we come to Christ, he has a desire for us to gaze into the glory of Christ. And if we look down at chapter 4 of, of 2 Corinthians 4, we see that. We see that even though the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, we look into the, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and we are transformed. It is the gospel, my friends, that reveals the glory of Christ. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, but you hear. And this is the privilege that we have as those who have been enveloped by the light. We have brought, been exposed by the light and brought into the gospel truth. And we have received Christ. And so now our greatest privilege in salvation is not that our sins are forgiven, but that greatest privilege is that you get to be like Jesus. Paul doesn't hold back in, first, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, everyone must have, everyone must have the eyes of their hearts enlightened that they may know. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My friends, the glory of God, you might say, you've said, yes, the God of this world has blinded our minds, and yes, we need to gaze into the, the glory of Christ, but where do we see this glory? How do we actually gaze? Milton Vincent said, the glory of Christ in its thickest density is found inside the gospel. My friends, if you and I want to be transformed, if we are serious about being the people that God has called us to be, then we must habitually gaze at the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where we will find the Lord Jesus. That is where we will find the truth of God's word and that transformative way. And that is where we will find that great strength that we find. So when we're putting on the armor of God, we are gazing at the gospel and God is equipping us and the spirit of God is moving through us and empowering us as we face every challenge that we are to face. And we do face challenges, don't we? There are times when anger, fear, panic, discouragement, and impatience stalk our hearts and they whisper a false gospel that tries to lure us away uh, from the, the safety of uh, our security in Christ. The battleground is between our ears when we have situations happen that are negative in our life when we get sick and we lose our jobs and uh, we have trouble in our marriage or we have a financial crisis or one of our kids gets sick. Any kind of havoc that happens in our life of faith, we need the gospel. We need that gospel as the lens through which we see everything. And so as we're transformed by the power of the gospel, we start to see life change. In every situation, we look through that lens of the gospel because we have become empowered by the gospel. My friends, I don't notice the gas tank, the warning light that goes on. But we need to take 
We need to take, take, take notice of the, the warning light that may be going on in our own hearts as we consider this passage. Have we often wondered, where is the power? Where is this promised power that the gospel uh, has to afford to us, gives to us, is promised to us? My friends, we need that gospel power. We need to look at scripture and ask deep questions. Where is Christ in the text that we are preaching we need gospel intake. We need scripture intake. All of scripture, when we rightly see it, we see the gospel. Jesus is the theme of the Bible and the storyline of the Bible. He is the good news of the Bible for sinner and for saint. We need that gospel intake. And for many of us, that gospel, that, that gospel warning light is going off and we wonder, how is it that I'm ever going to walk worthy? This is how we do it. We fill that tank with the gospel. And we allow the Spirit of God in his mighty, towering power to be all that God has called us to be. The gospel-centered scripture is exactly what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 promises. It is able to make us wise for salvation. Not just to Christ, but in Christ. John Piper rightly said, hearing the word of the cross and preaching it to ourselves is the central strategy for sinners in the fight for joy. Are you fighting for joy today? Are you wondering why you can't seem to be empowered in your spiritual life? We need the gospel. We need to be bathed in the gospel. The foolishness of the gospel has become, by God's grace, the life-giving power of the gospel. And by design, it is used by the Holy Spirit in that transformative work, the transforming power of the gospel. That is God's message for us today. May we hear it with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of grace and the hope that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, today that if there's somebody here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, that the power of the gospel would shine into their hearts and minds and give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that responds to the gospel. Bring them to Christ today. Father, for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we've experienced that life-giving power of the gospel, and we desire to be transformed. Father, as we gaze into the the gospel of the glory of Christ. As we read the scriptures, we pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would give us that desire to see Jesus in them and that you would transform us by the power of the Spirit of God. We are so grateful that you and your love and your grace have bound our life to his. Christ living in us. And so we know you are for us. Thank you so much for all you've done and all you will do. For we ask this all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.